God's doing some amazing things around the world. It's really incredible. I've got some very happy news to share. I want to dig first into the happy news that God had written for us a couple thousand years ago out of the Word. We're going to look at the strange body. If you guys could pop up the PowerPoint. Um, yeah, this, uh, you know, every one of us has a body. Young, old, large, small, healthy, some less healthy. And uh, we all have feelings about the body that we have. Uh, maybe we like it, don't like it. Some things I'd like to change uh, or I'm really glad it's still functioning. God has used the image of a body a lot of times in Scripture to describe the church, his people, the body of Christ, who we are in him. One body, interconnected, a growing body, a self-improving body, a really great body, actually. And I hope that however you feel about your physical body this morning, in the next few minutes, you're going to feel better about the body of Christ, the spiritual body of which we're all a part. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, and I'll read those. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then... We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is an incredibly rich text, and I'm going to skip over dozens of brilliant truths in these verses to highlight just a few aspects of Christ's body that I think the Lord would like to spotlight for us this morning. So first, verse 1, live a life worthy of the calling with which you've been called. When your life belongs to Jesus, you're already in the body, and so it's not a matter of working to attain it, to get there. It's a matter of living up to the calling we've already been given. And our standard is not what somebody else in the body of Christ is doing. They're doing better than us. They're doing worse than us. We look up to them. We look down to them. The standard is the calling God has given you in Jesus Christ. The redemption he's given you and the standard of his holiness, his excellence, his beauty. It's an invitation to become better and better. Not by our power, but by the power of the Spirit. And so as we look at that high calling, if sometimes you get frustrated 
or irritated or even really angry about what some other Christians are doing or saying, that's okay, because they're not perfect yet. And neither are you. (laughs) And neither am I. So it's okay if sometimes we're like, that is just, that's just not... And we're without words for how frustrated we get with our brothers and sisters sometimes. And that's okay. (laughs) Because we are family. As irritated as we might get, as frustrated as we might get, as disappointed as we might get, as angry as we might get sometimes, we're family. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) you got to love me. I'm your brother. You can't get rid of me because Jesus has bought us both and brought us both into one family. And we're here. And the only way out, there's no way out. You don't want to, I tell you what, you don't want to find a way out of this family. So don't let yourself get sucked in to thinking more about how frustrated you are with other Christians than you are with thinking about the high calling you have in Jesus. His beauty, his excellence, his love. His glory, His invitation to become more like Him day by day. Don't take your eyes off Jesus and get so focused on other people that it just, that can get real discouraging. Have you noticed? (laughs) You might have slipped into that once or twice in the last few years. I have. It's not a happy place. Just turn your eyes upon Jesus. (laughs) Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth, including your frustrating brothers and sisters, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, that other stuff is real. It still exists. The issues and the problems, they don't disappear. We're not pretending they don't exist. We're just saying, that's life in a fallen world. And we're still here for a little bit longer till Jesus comes back or takes us home. So we enjoy the high calling we have, and we keep looking up because that's where God says to look. Fix your eyes on things above, not on things on earth. Well, the next verse, this is amazing. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I love this. Be completely humble and gentle. Right now, Christians, especially evangelical Christians in the U.S., are not known for being humble or gentle. Not even sort of humble or gentle, let alone completely. That's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? And if you're embarrassed, think how Jesus feels about that. It's, you get, it's so horrifying, you don't know whether to laugh or to cry. Be completely humble and gentle. Have we forgotten this verse is in the Bible? What are we doing? What are we thinking? Be completely humble. And that isn't just a good idea. It's not just good advice. That is a command of the sovereign God of the universe. The Lord Jesus Christ says, be completely humble and gentle. What can we say? But I'm working on it. (laughs) I'm trying, God. I want to get more humble. I want to get more gentle. It's worth asking ourselves, how am I doing at this? (laughs) And if you're feeling really brave, it's worth asking someone else who loves you. (laughs) How am I doing? (laughs) Okay, I know, you need to struggle with this a little. (laughs) I like to make you struggle a little with the Word of God. To ask someone you love, brace yourself and say, how am I doing at being completely humble and gentle? And then whatever they say, whether it makes you feel really good 
which isn't real likely, or whether they have a few helpful words of encouragement for you, take that to the Lord in prayer. You know, that's not necessarily a word straight from God, but it's probably close. (laughs) Take it to the Lord, sort it out, and say, God, how can I grow along with these few pieces of advice and, and insight that I've just gotten from somebody I love so that I can become more completely humble and gentle. Wow. What a challenge. That Jesus, he doesn't mess around, you know? Wouldn't it be great if we were all more completely humble and gentle? Wouldn't we enjoy each other more, I think? Well, maybe you guys have this down. I'm still working on it. <laughs> you know, there, there's, I'm trying to be humble, and, but I'm so right. <laughs> you know? You ever been there? And they're so wrong. <laughs> That's especially the time to remember to be completely humble and gentle, especially when you're right and you know they're wrong. Be very completely humble and gentle about being right. Can we do that? Is that possible? Okay, let's work on it, you and me together. And feel free to tell me how I could be more completely humble and gentle. Of course, I haven't been around for a couple of months. You all kind of... (laughs) And maybe I've improved since last time you saw me. Okay, we got to move along here. Verse 3, make every effort, wow, this is great, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, you might have noticed that maintaining unity with some of your brothers and sisters, it takes some effort, doesn't it? And God saw that coming. That's why he told us, he didn't just say make some effort at this, he said make every effort. God knew that some of your brothers and sisters, some of the folks in the family that he invited in without your permission are going to take a lot of effort. So he says, make every effort, make every effort to maintain unity with those brothers and sisters, especially the ones you find most irritating, especially the ones you find most frustrating, especially the ones you disagree with about politics especially the ones you disagree with about the fine points of theology, especially the ones you disagree with about the best way to raise kids, especially the ones you you get the point. (laughs) Okay, make every effort, not just some, but every effort. That's a great thing. And this is a unity of the spirit, not a unity of organization, not a unity of structure. He didn't say, I want one world church. I want you all to become one big denomination. I want you all to meet in one huge, 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 huge building every Sunday. No, this is a unity of the spirit. Not just with the folks in this room, but with the folks who love Jesus all over town, all over the state, all over the country, all over the world, a unity because of God's spirit. That's what he calls us to, that kind of unity. As challenging as it is, that's why he said make every effort and keep the unity of the spirit. Well, in verse 4 through 6, there's, he says there's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Yeah, this is amazing. In one sentence, we have the word one seven times. One, 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 one. What do you think is the main point he wants us to get out of these three verses? (laughs) We are one in Christ. So we might as well make the most of this strange family that we're in because he has made us one. 
one body. And our oneness with each other is not based in our sameness or even our agreement on this issue or that issue or that problem. Our oneness is based, it's rooted in the nature of God and our salvation in Christ. The last item is one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's the basis of our oneness. Not whether we agree on anything else or not. <laughs> who God is, his truth, this is the stuff on which our oneness is based. And then we've got grace, a gift. To each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Wow, isn't that great? None of us is here because we deserve it. You know, none of us is here because God said, oh, that is such a nice person. I really want them in my family. No, God said, that is such a person that needs to be saved by grace. <laughs> Unmerited favor. He brought us in. And it's interesting, this is not just grace in general, which is a great thing, but this is a grace, a gift, a specific kind of grace. It's like on Christmas Day, and Jesus is handing out the presents. And he's saying, oh, Mark, this one's got your name on it. And Jill, this, this one's for you. And Danny, I've got a gift for you. And Laurel, I made this one just special for you. And to each one of us, he has a special gift that fits just perfectly who we are with all the strengths and weaknesses that he's given us as a created being, a way to glorify him. And all those gifts, they're way too many to mention, so he doesn't list all the gifts because there's as many gifts as there are people, zillions and zillions of gifts with all kinds of nuances for all kinds of ministry. But he picks out just a few to list, and those are four or five gifts that are uniquely useful for equipping the body of Christ. And so the main thing that we see in the next couple of verses here in Ephesians 4 is something that John Alt was teaching on 50 years ago. And I understand some of you heard, got a good reminder of this a couple of weeks ago, and that is in verse 11 and 12. I'm going to read that again. Verse 11 says, He made the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for work of service works so that the body of Christ may be built up. You know, verse 12 tells us that the function of those ministries, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, their main thing is not to do the stuff. The main thing that the prophets do is not just to prophesy, it's to equip God's people. The main thing the apostles do is not just apostle, it's to equip God's people. The main thing the teachers do is not just teach, they equip God's people for works of service. And so this is really, really important. And I think John might have gone through the Greek of the text. You know, you've got the, the ace, the pros, pros. So he gives these gifts so that the body of Christ will be equipped to do this stuff. And the reason that is so profound and so important is that a few hundred years ago, hundreds, hundreds actually, the church, Big C Church, was infected with a horrible virus crippling virus, ecclesiological polo, you could call it, polio. This crippling virus was the idea that the church has two kinds of Christians. The church has the clergy, who are, were known as the priests at that time, whose job it was to do the religious stuff. And then you had, whoops, you had the lay people. And the lay people's job was to show up on Sunday and give money to support the work of the clergy. 
work at regular jobs so they could get enough money to support the church, support the clergy, support the religious work that the clergy were doing. And, uh, you know, there were some problems with that model. So then we had the Reformation, and the magisterial reformers, they made a big deal out of the fact that we were not calling the leaders priests anymore because we're all priests. And that is true, and that is good, and that is very important. The problem is they changed the wording and kept a lot of the same model. And so what we end up with is we still have way too many churches where the clergy are now known as the minister or the pastor, singular, or some other fancy title. And so the default assumption in a lot of churches is we pay our minister, the reverend so-and-so, to do God's work, the ministry. Now, if every local church only has one minister, or the big churches, they have a staff of a few ministers, not much actually gets done. You know, if this church only had one minister, that's not near as good as if it has this many ministers. <laughs> yeah? And so that's why it's so important to understand that what this verse says is those leaders, those gifts that were listed are there to equip God's people. It's not that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, but not that they do the work of the ministry. No, they do the work of equipping God's people so that God's people us, you, we do the work of the ministry. And that is so powerful. And in some of the movements I'm going to be talking about, actually all of the movements that I'll be sharing about in a minute or two, that's why these movements are growing so fast. That's one of the big reasons is these folks, they've come to Jesus and they learned that they are priests, they are ministers, they are evangelists, they're there to reach people for Jesus and touch the world for his glory. And it happens. You have a church of 25 people, and you have 25 people that are out sharing Jesus, loving their neighbors, being kind, caring, and guess what? More people want to join a church like that. It's amazing stuff when we do what God said to do. So, you know, verse 12 says God intends every one of his people to be ministers. That's you, gifted, called, anointed, sent to do the work of the ministry. Not just churchy stuff. That's good, too. But everyday stuff being kind, being loving, being sensitive, sharing truth, showing compassion to the world around us, building up and encouraging each other to be about the business of reflecting God's goodness. So where this is all headed, verse 15, we keep doing this stuff. We all keep doing the ministry until we all reach unity in the faith, until we all reach the knowledge of the Son of God, until we all become mature, until we all attain to the whole measure Get this, this is mind-blowing. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Wouldn't you love to be in a place like that? Well, I'm going to pause for just a moment to comment on this deceitful scheming. And I wish I didn't have to, and... I've actually asked the Lord about four times, should I just leave this out? Saying, no, I don't think so. Um, I suspect that no matter what your political views are, you would probably agree with me that some deceitful scheming has been going on in the politics of the United States. We might disagree about who has been doing the deceitful scheming, but I think we can all, I hope we can all agree, somebody is doing some deceitful scheming somewhere here. Something's gone wrong. We got a problem here. And, you know... The reality is that deceitful scheming has been a part of politics since before Jesus was born. This is not new information for God. 
This is not a strange, weird happening. That's the world of politics. But the tragedy is when God's children start to view life and the world through a political lens, such that the people we most despise and get irritated by are brothers and sisters who hold different views. And then truth is no longer grounded in the person of Jesus and the nature of God. And the idea of truth becomes a political football that gets kicked around here and there to try to prove a point on social media. And when that happens in the world, it's sad. But when Christians jump in to applaud that deceitful scheming, in the name of Jesus, it's an abomination. Because God has called us to grow up. If I could say one thing to the church in America, well, who am I? It's not for me to say. It's for God's word to say, Grow up. Grow up in Christ. Remember who we are in him and that that is the most important thing happening in all the country, in all the world, in all of our lives is Jesus. Everything else is a distant second. And all that deceitful scheming, we got to say, something, something not right there. And this is a very fallen world we live in. And Jesus is going to do something when we keep loving each other and glorifying his name no matter what. So what we're after is to no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and the opinions and the deceitful scheming. Our calling is speaking the truth in love, completely humble and gentle. Then we'll grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Wouldn't that be a great thing to have the church be like that? We can be like that. That is our calling, our very high calling in Jesus. And so the summary is verse 16. From him, Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So our destiny is to be like Jesus. And we aim for that as individuals, but we also aim for that together. We're growing together as a body, the local body of Christ, the global body of Christ. And when the world looks at us, they might think we're strange, but let's be a good kind of strange, a good kind of strange like the early church was, to aim to grow in Christ-likeness to the point where the world sees and experiences something good. So let's take a moment to ask the Lord, is there an application you want me to take home from this? Is it something to do with being completely humble and gentle? Is it aiming to restore a loving relationship with somebody from whom I've been estranged? Is it looking for ways to minister to others instead of waiting for somebody to minister to me? Ask the Lord, what's my application for this text today? I'm going to be quiet for a minute and let the Spirit tell you your application for today. Thank you, Lord, for the high calling that you've given us in Christ. We welcome that, Lord, and we welcome your Spirit that invites us, draws us, and enables us to live in the direction of that high calling. Because this is challenging stuff when we pay attention. But we're okay with being challenged to become more like Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We pray your anointing on each one of us as we step out this week to apply in fresh ways the truth, the challenges, the invitations. Well, now I'd like to share with you a few ways that the body of Christ is growing globally, growing in numbers, growing in maturity, growing in some amazing stuff that God is doing in various places around the world. 
our family is growing. We are blessed. Our kids uh, all love Jesus. We got six grandkids at this point, and they're a blast. I won't take long on that because I've always spent so much time preaching the word. We, church planting movements is what we're all about. These are movements where disciples are making disciples, are making disciples, are making disciples, at least four generations worth, and churches are planting churches that are planting churches that are planting churches at least to four generations or more. We don't call it a movement until that is happening. And indigenous leaders are leading these churches. So we've got four or more generations. The best research we have right now says there are at least... 1,965 of those kinds of movements happening around the world. That is a lot. Even more exciting, most of those movements are happening among Muslims and Hindus who are coming to Jesus for the first time. This isn't folks transferring from one church to another, nothing to do with that. This is folks that just heard about Jesus from somebody else in their culture, and guess what? They want in. And it's exciting. Pretty cool that a year ago, when I gave you this statistic, it was 1,375, so we're up about 600. And this is just what we know about. This is just what we can keep up with tracking. And we're working hard to track this stuff. But there are probably more than this 1,900. We're probably over 2,000, but I'm only going to tell you what my friends, the experts, are saying. We're sure of this. And each of these movements, it's at least 1,000 believers. Some are millions of believers. Again, by the time you've got four generations of churches playing churches, you're talking not just hundreds, but over thousands of people. So best estimate, there's a total of 114 million believers in these movements. And that's, to get your mind around that, that is over 1% of the whole world's population. Not just 1% of the Christian, 1% of the whole world's population is in a movement that is rapidly multiplying, and a lot of it among Muslims and Hindus. Is that awesome or what? That is so cool. And I'm thrilled that we get to be a part of connecting and encouraging and working with some of the leaders of these movements. Um, now, I told you a year ago about these two books, so I'm not going to stay long on the uh, left, Bojpuri Breakthrough movement in North India, roughly 10 million disciples from a Hindu background. Great stuff. My buddy, Victor John, one of the funniest people I know, is the leader of that movement. And then on the uh, right side, this is a compendium, 36 authors from 10 different countries. Here's what's happening in movements, little stories and, and amazing stuff describing what's happening. The other book, Motus Day, is the most current of the three. And uh, I was associate editor for this, and this has a dozen, yeah, about 15 authors. It includes a chapter I wrote. As some people have heard about these movements, rather than praising God for all the great stuff, they said, yeah, what about this? Are we sure these people are really saved? You know, I, th this isn't like my church. I'm not sure this is okay. So I wrote a chapter addressing some of the objections people have, the theological objections, and you know I love to argue about theology. <laughs> as I'm being completely humble and gentle. So, so there's a sample copy of that back there if you want to take a look at that. I'm very excited about a book I'm working on right now. Um, in June, was it June? Yeah, it was June. I was in Kenya interviewing this man whose picture you see, uh, Isla. Uh, I've edited some of his stuff. He's from a Muslim background, came to Christ back in the 80s. 
incredible testimony. He has since uh, started an indigenous agency that is reaching both Muslims and tribal people in Africa, in about six or eight countries around Africa. And they have seen hundreds of thousands of Muslims come to faith in Jesus. And so I'm really excited to work with him and get his stuff into print. Lord willing, it'll become a book like Bojpuri Breakthrough. Uh, his material, <sighs> thrilled. I was just in Kansas City with him a couple of weeks ago, got another two days worth of material. And my work the next couple of months is to edit that stuff to try to turn it into a book. Also, a new book project that's almost finished. As I've been interacting with some of the critiques of movements and people complaining about this thing and that detail, I realized, you know, this is a lot like what Jonathan Edwards was hearing in the criticisms of the First Great Awakening. You know, when the Spirit fell and amazing stuff was happening and people were like, there's something wrong here. You know, you got people shouting in the middle of the sermon and we shouldn't have that happening. And Jonathan Edwards wrote some of the most profound and gripping defenses of the work of God's Spirit in that context. And I thought, that sounds a lot like the stuff I'm saying. Actually, I think I'm stealing some of Jonathan Edwards' material here in the 21st. So just for fun... I put together this little booklet, which hopefully will be out pretty soon. It's, if Jonathan Edwards were here and could comment on these church planning movements, what might he say? And so about two-thirds of the book is stuff straight from Edwards. Now, some of you won't enjoy reading that stuff that was written 400 years ago, but for the, the strong of heart who love Jonathan Edwards, who are deeply convinced of Reformed theology and love that stuff and realize he is America's greatest theologian ever, they need to hear what he says about movements. So that's, what, that's on the way. One other thing I'm doing, and then I'm going to quit and let Gene talk here. The 2414 Coalition, based on the verse in Matthew 24, uh, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, all the ethne. And you've heard me preach on this, so I'm not preaching on it now. And then the end will come. So this coalition is working together to say, which ethne, which groups have not yet had opportunity to hear the gospel? And how can we get it there as quickly as possible? So a lot of the stuff I do is writing, encouraging, networking, editing to help that happen. And now uh, Jean's going to tell you about some stuff that's going on too. And I'm going to hand her a microphone. You got one? How about this microphone? Yes, we've got the Kim microphone. Go for it, Kitty. Quicker. All right, so it's really good to be with you guys, and so glad to be here. So we got to go to Thailand um, a few weeks ago, and our organization who's focused on these church planning movements, how can we support them, how can we help birth them, how can we partner with them, um, had some leadership meetings, and then we had some meetings with everybody who could come in the whole organization, which wasn't everybody because of COVID things, um, but was a lot, of, a lot of us. And what was decided is given the fact that over 90% of new movements are birthed by existing movements, we wanted to take a look at what does that mean and how can we really facilitate that? And it doesn't mean that we should have people stop doing role three, seeking to catalyze a brand new movement, because sometimes there aren't those connections and that's what's needed and that's what God's calling them to. Other times, and we have a friend doing this in Indonesia, um, a couple there, 
they're doing role one. They're serving a single movement in some way that's helping strengthen and expand it into unengaged areas. Now, this couple had originally had a vision for, I think, about six unreached people groups in Indonesia. But God led them to partner with this already existing movement. And they, through like relational lines and stuff, have connections and are moving out into the, these areas. So that partnership, you know, take it's like getting hot coals and, and starting new fires. And they, they know the stuff. They've got the DNA. So that's really exciting what's going on there. And then there's another role, which I put in, in bold, because that might help you understand how, what Dave and I are, are doing and some other people are doing, is we're seeking to help multiple movements work together to sow new work into hard-to-reach places. One of the main ways that Dave does that is by helping people who aren't native English speakers or don't really like writing to get their stories out there so that we can know and we can pray in ways that are appropriate for that. One of the ways that I'm involved in it is helping prayer and prayer strategy um, and helping and movements know a lot about that already, but we're also doing things to network, and we're also doing things to say, okay, how can we pray strategically? What does this look like? So one of the things that I got to present at the conference, and I've also been asked um, to write an article for EMQ about, is how do we develop a prayer strategy? Like, we can do work, we can go out, we can share the gospel, but if we ignore spiritual realities, we might not get anywhere. You know, it's about God's power. It's not, but it's not by our might, our power, it's by his spirit. So how can we partner and do that together? So I'll share a little bit more about that in a minute. But to give you just sort of a brief rundown, especially if you don't know us, one thing that I got involved in, I think it's 21 years ago now, is um, helping people pray through the root of issues in their lives where they felt stuck spiritually or emotionally. And I've gotten to see God set people free all over the place and see that multiply out. And that's it's at least fourth generation, and it's really cool what God is doing through that. So I've been involved in training, and then I wrote Becoming Whole. There's a picture of the book right there. It's also out on the table. Or you can grab my card and get it for free on my website. Um, also, I turned it into Discovery Bible Studies. That's what DBS stands for, because that's the main way that movements are learning stuff. And so that makes that really accessible to them. It's also um, in Indonesian, and a simplified version is in some other languages, including Spanish. So another part of my role is um, helping our organization look at prayer strategy within the organization. And so we're divided up into affinity blocks. We have prayer strategists. One small example from that, we came 
to Thailand. So we're meeting in Thailand, and I'm like, okay, what are the strongholds in Thailand? What are the hindrances to the gospel there? You know, God's given us, it says in 2 Corinthians 10, divine power to demolish strongholds and anything set up against the knowledge of Christ. But we're going there as a group to meet. And we don't want to go uninformed. We want to go wise and see those victories. And not just for us, but also for the place there, right? So one stronghold that um, was identified there, which we really wanted to pray was not affecting our group, is disconnection, miscommunication, and mishearing. Really interesting how that stuff plays out. And I've experienced it myself because I've met a lot of times in Thailand. And sometimes I'm like, what just happened? So we proactively prayed. We asked God, what are kingdom opposites for that? Well, connection, good communication, really hearing one another, listening well. What are scripture verses about that, that we could be praying over this conference? How can we be proactive in that? And so we came up with the prayer strategy, and we put together material, and we had a prayer meeting before the conference started, and I think about two-thirds of the people were there praying down strongholds and praying them down for the affinity blocks as well. One of the other things I do is write prayer updates. If you want to get on, um, get those, beyond.org. Beyond's the name of our organization. And then there's also 2414. We've talked about that before. It's a network of organizations. A lot of them are non-Western that are seeking to do things to support movements and people who are in movements as well. So I'm part of the prayer task force. There is a 52-week prayer guide in um, being used right now. You can get it at disciplekeys.world. And every week, there's a new prayer request for movements, just a simple thing. And then there are also four unreached people groups to pray. So it's like Monday through Friday. Um, and then I already mentioned the article. So I will skip over that, except just to, well, yeah, to say in terms of with prayer strategy, that's what I just talked about. Pray for me as I seek to write about that and also write about how that impacts people because, yeah, there's, there's some strategies that I would really like to see revealed. Um, a small example, like if you're feeling um, sort of, what, under it and the you know you feel like you're being attacked in some way god wants to give you victory over that he lives in you the same power that raised christ from the dead is at work in you to overcome that so fight for it and invite him into that it's again it's his might his power to do that but once He's given you that victory. Bring it to the world. So one other thing I get to do um, beyond within our organization is help with team development. And so we're divided into circles. And if people are having issues, I help them with wholeness prayer and with other 
things like that. And before I give this back to Dave, I just want to read you um, a scripture and, and pr then pray it over us. Because I think it sort of brings this together and, and it's just a really good application for us. This is from Colossians 4, starting in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And I think, you know, that God opening the door for us, to us for the gospel, to declare the mystery of Christ, that's for all of us, like what Dave was talking about before. And also continuing steadfastly in prayer, you know, and asking the Lord for help. Um, so just want to lift all this up. Lord, I do pray you'd help us to continue steadfastly in prayer and be watchful in it with thanksgiving and that you would open doors to all of us for your word to declare the mystery of Christ, that we might make it clear. And I pray that you'd help us walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, and that our speech would always be gracious, seasoned with salt, and that we would know how to answer each person. For your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Always be gracious, seasoned with salt. <laughs> I'm invite up the worship team now as I wrap up. Um, other stuff you'll see on the table, uh, two of Greg's books. Take a look at those if you're not familiar with them. Um, Front Mission Frontiers magazine, uh, a couple issues ago, I helped them get all of the articles together. So as a thank you, they gave me a pile of those. So there's still a few left on the table. Take those. Those are free. And I especially want to thank you all for being part of the adventure. As you can tell, I really love what I get to do. You know, I get to hear about the amazing works of God firsthand from people that are in the stuff doing it. And I get to proclaim the amazing works of God. It's just a delight to be writing articles, editing art, writing books. And, you know, it's, it's, I can tell you, zillions of people are coming to Jesus all over the world. And uh, I'm not the one doing it. <laughs> God's Spirit is doing it, and I get to just run along and try to catch up and, and kind of uh, share a little of the report of what's happening. So I praise God for that. Thanks for your support, your prayers. We really appreciate it. God is at work, and you're part of the adventure. Thanks. <laughs>